Yeah, well, you know what? I don't blame him for this. If if I was, you know, living attached to a car battery, I would also make that my number one priority, getting something a little more portable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, nobody wants to carry a landline when you have mobiles, right? <laughs> Only you would make that analogy. <laughs> Welcome to the Marvelous Madams Podcast. We're your hosts, Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. We are burdened with the glorious purpose of talking all things Marvel. Madams, assemble. Happy anniversary, my dear. Happy anniversary to you too, partner. And I'm super excited. I remember this one since about six weeks ago. I completely forgot my own wedding anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know your priorities are straight. Our anniversary is definitely more important. Well, my husband did forget as well. And we remembered like two weeks later on the way to the airport. So yeah, good times. <laughs> So why are we here today? We are going back in time exactly one year ago. The way, way back machine. Are you sure it's one year? It feels like 10. It kind of does. We're in COVID time now. Yeah, we are. Yeah. Yeah. This is the real world version of an AU. (laughs) (laughs) No, this is the darkest timeline. That's what it is. Yeah. So we are re-recording today, our first redo. Will it be the last redo? Hopefully. Not sure. Well, depends on how bad we fuck up. Also depends on what Marvel does to us in the coming years. (laughs) The possibilities are endless. True. So yeah, when we first recorded Iron Man together a year ago, twice. Yeah, the first one was that bad that we had to redo it immediately. (laughs) That was a crime against humanity. After our friends were like, ah. <laughs> we love you, but maybe this is not the best idea. Yeah. So yeah. podcast babies back then. So today is <laughs> take three with what we know will be a much more entertaining, quote unquote, professional recording. Yeah. And hopefully I'm not not so scared anymore that I am barely able to speak two words you were sweating hard not in a good way yeah so i knew even before i sat down to watch iron man again the other day that this was going to be a different watch post wandavision yeah yeah it's it's different because we ourselves have grown as people and podcasters and of course we're with WandaVision out, there's this whole different perspective that we have. Absolutely. Between Wanda's story and this last year of, like you said, podcasting and doing what we're doing and analyzing films and shows in a different way and also learning from each other just in terms of cultural differences. Yeah, true. And also life in general. Things have changed so much in the last year. Yeah. Even just in these last few months, I feel like life is so much more dense than it used to be. That makes sense. Yeah, I get what you're saying. It kind of feels more monotonous to me. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So everybody is in a different stage of their life right now. 
than they were a year ago. And honestly, a lot of people are rewatching the MCU right now, having gotten ready for WandaVision, getting ready for Falcon and the Winter Soldier as we are recording this a day before Falcon and the Winter mm-hmm. Soldier drops. Super excited. Yeah. yeah. I would recommend before you listen to this episode, guys, go back to the beginning again with us. Rewatch Iron Man post Endgame, post WandaVision, and see how you've changed along with things. Because these new shows really are changing the previous movies. It's incredible. Yeah, it is. I think the biggest change has been for post WandaVision has been Age of Ultron. Civil War too. I can say that having just rewatched it yesterday, it definitely changes that too. I teared Mm -hmm. up. Okay. And you know what else I think impacts Iron Man now too, actually, is the Mandalorian. How? It's a matter of Jon Favreau's body of work. Okay. Because, you know, I personally have not watched The Mandalorian. I'm not a Star Wars person, Mm -hmm. but my husband loved it. And he's Mm -hmm. not a Star Wars guy either, but nonetheless, absolutely loved it. And it's been hailed as such an achievement. So all his previous work can now be viewed through a different lens of this incredible career that he's cultivated. I can see now in the future, he's too young for it still, but I could see maybe 20 years from now, if he keeps going at the pace and quality he is, I can see Jon Favreau winning Lifetime Achievement Awards. Yeah, I can see that too. And it would be well-deserved. And I think that's where we're going to start here is a little discussion of Mr. Favreau with the intro itself to the movie that started it all, Iron Man from 2008. All right, so let's dive in. And the reason I say we want to start with Favreau here is he has a knack for certain aspects of filmmaking. And one of those things is giving quick, succinct exposition. And that's what this introduction to Tony Stark in Afghanistan is. Yeah, it's a few minutes. It's hardly, I would say, maybe two or three minutes. And we get to know exactly who Tony is in terms of personality. Yep. And another effective technique when done well is starting the story in the middle and jumping back. Right. Yeah. And that is something that happens fairly often, actually, in the MCU. Yes. I'd say maybe a third of the time. Yeah. Yeah. About that. Mm Mm-hmm. And then with a drink in his hand, Tony and everybody else is blindsided by an IED. Right. And immediately after that, they're ambushed. And Tony gets out of the Humvee only to get onto the ground and see that it's his own weapons that are being used against him. And this firefight feels very realistic and Mm -hmm. very claustrophobic inside that vehicle, too. Even if it wasn't the smartest thing to do. You also want to get out of that vehicle with him. Yeah, absolutely. And he can see that everyone around him who's supposed to be protecting him are dropping like flies. Now, when he sees his own weapon, did you recall the parallel to that? Yeah, it's actually the same bomb that Uh Wanda sees in her own house. It was exactly the same. That sent chills through me. Yeah. That they went that deep with a callback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just, every time we think we can't find more, 
to praise for WandaVision. There it is. Yeah. And Marvel as a whole for keeping that continuity. Yes. So we see Tony now feeling the effects of shrapnel throughout his chest. And it's well done, the bleed through there. Yeah, it was subtly done. And so he is taken by the terrorists, who we will find out later to be the Ten Rings. And it's time to make a video. Right. And it's all in another language. We don't see what these terrorists are saying, but we can clearly see that Tony is... And that video will come back into play later. But for now, it's time to head in the Wayback Machine again, 36 hours to Las Vegas. Yep. And now this is a scene that I really love. Mm -hmm. So well done. Yeah, excellently done. We have a very quick recap about who Tony is. So far, we figured out what what kind of a man he is. Now we get to know who he is as a man. That's well said. Thank you. And we see now, oh, this guy is a lot more than this veneer that he has. We don't know quite know it's a veneer yet, but we will. And yeah. we see in this little bio montage what a genius he is and the shoes that he is so desperately trying to fill in his father. Right. And also we get subtle hints about Obadiah. If you look at those magazine covers, we have one picture of him standing looking down at the world. And then once Tony takes over, he's behind Tony kind of looking at him from the back. It's subtly hinted that Obadiah had to step down and he is clearly unhappy about it. Yes. And we cannot say enough about Jeff Bridges in this movie. My God. He is amazing. So the whole movie, really, it's, it's such an interesting thing here. It's set up as a major critique of the U.S. military industrial complex. Right. And in a lot of ways, we're going to see throughout this movie, it really is an indictment of toxic masculinity. Mm -hmm. How so? Well, I think that we're going to see Tony's behavior, Rhodey's behavior, just the arms brace in general, violence, weaponry, that sort of thing. It's so frustrating because in those moments, I'm like, yes, Favreau, good job. And then there are other times when women come onto this screen and I want to just wring John Favreau's neck and say, you still just don't get it, do you? <laughs> I see that you're trying, John. I see that you're trying, but you guys still just don't get it. But we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to each instance as it comes. Yes. And uh, speaking of the U.S. military industrial complex, not a fan of this James Rhodes. Yeah, yeah, me neither. Yeah. We'll get into it a little more f later on as things progress. But yeah, I, I'm glad that they recast him. Yes, I do think, not that Terrence Howard is a bad actor, he's not. I do just think Don Cheadle is the superior actor and he's a more appropriate casting choice for this role. Yeah, and I feel like Terrence Howard interpreted Rhodey as a more colder character whereas Don Cheadle is he has more heart yes he really does so we first meet Rhodey here presenting Tony with 
a major award, but Tony is too busy. Is he playing craps, roulette? I have absolutely no idea. He's playing some sort of a game with dice. <laughs> and we're, we're told briefly that Rhodey's purpose is that he is not only Tony's best buddy, as we'll see, he is the Air Force's liaison to Stark Industries because Stark Industries is a major weapons contractor. Correct. You know, we see Tony's too busy to get this award. In previous watches, I thought to myself, oh, what a jackass. He can't be bothered to show up for something in his honor because he's too busy having his hedonistic good times. But I saw it differently this time. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you did. Yeah. This time I saw it as not only does this guy not want accolades of this sort for what he does, he's actively uncomfortable with receiving awards. And I think it's because he does not feel worthy of them. That's certainly possible. And I also think that for him, he probably thinks that these awards are not about him. It's about the people giving the award. That's true too. And after a point of time, like we've, we saw that little backstory of his, it's pretty obvious that he has been given a lot of awards. Mm -hmm. And we've seen this in the Oscars. There's so many times when certain actors get keep getting awards and they actively say, please don't give it to me anymore. Mm -hmm. It becomes embarrassing after a point. It's like, okay, the first few times, yay, awesome. Uh, I can't believe it. And it's incredible. But then after that, it's the human mind is capable of getting used to anything. So you get used to that. I think back in the 80s and 90s, there were a couple of stars who took their names off the ballots, out of contention, because they were like, this is a little much. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like that for him. But in this case, he's not trying to be humble about it. He's like, yeah, okay, whatever. I got another award. Give it to Caesar. <laughs> yeah, it's safe to say there's not a humble bone in Tony Stark's body. <laughs> yeah, he probably thinks that he should get them because of the service that he's providing. He's not bothered with the pomp and circumstance for it. Hmm. Especially when it's not pomp and circumstance that he has created himself. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Stark Expo. Anyway. <laughs> so I objectively feel that Robert Downey Jr. is an attractive man. He doesn't do anything for me personally, but I recognize like he's a good looking man. However, yeah. this slick look of his that he's got going on at the table, mm -hmm. they did a perfect job. He makes me gag in this scene. <laughs> He looks like an absolute slime ball. He's just missing. Maybe this is the jersey and me projecting. I don't know. He's just missing a gold chain and a gaudy ring. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you mean. It's the hair, especially. And his face is fuller in this movie, too. Yeah, he is definitely a lot younger than what we see him now. Well, no, that's how when he was younger, too. If you go back and watch like his days on SNL, brief days on SNL on YouTube, as when he was younger, he just had a fuller face. He had a rounder mm -hmm. face. Right. So there was still a little bit of that left combined with the hair. I'm just like, ah, <laughs> they did their job. They did their job making him not look good. Just making him look sleazy. Yeah, he is a bit sleazy, but not in the used car salesman way. No, but you know who did look sleazy in a used car salesman way and a very similar look? Who? Howard in the first Captain America. That's what this look reminded me of this time. Hmm. 
I definitely saw a parallel there, especially with the hair. This is the scene where he looks the most like his father, the original Howard Stark, young Howard Stark. Interesting. Hmm. I hadn't made that connection before myself. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, the slick back hair. That's, again, another hint to him trying to be more like his dad. I think so. Yeah, subconsciously. So Rhodey comes over, brings Tony his award, and they head out to the car to take off for the evening. And I noticed something else here. We barely mm-hmm. see Happy Hogan in this movie, Favreau as Happy. Right. Yeah. It's real quick right here. And it's foreshadowing for the character that Happy becomes. Even now, he's super protective of Tony. I didn't notice this before, but he gets super nervous when Christine Everhart shows up and like first hails Tony for a question. Yeah, it's his job. Yeah, it's his job. But she's still behind a barrier and she's a woman in heels and a business suit in a busy area. Do you think she's an assassin? Like the way he reacts is a little much. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's who he is. Exactly. It, yeah, that it's a it's a nice little just the subtle hint of how paranoid and the legs that happy will go to in the future. Yeah. And you know what? When I was seeing this again after so long, I just remember thinking everyone looks so young. Yes. And in some cases, Mr. Favreau, thin. True. Yes. Yes. I don't think that chef show has helped Mr. Favreau. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he's not the ultimate fighting champion, but he's in pretty good shape here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm not even going to get into that flashback that we have in Iron Man 2 with the long hair. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That flashback to Night at the Roxbury, basically. So this is our first glimpse here, this confrontation with Christine Everhart, uh, played by Leslie Bibb, who reprises the role in uh, Iron Man 2. This is the first time we see that Playboy mask drop off of Tony, just briefly. Yeah. It's interesting, though, that the only reason he wants to talk to her is because she's hot. And then when she starts asking him hard hitting questions, he kind of drops that veneer. I think the reason he does that, he gets defensive. Yes. Is I think he, in a way, took it as an insult to his father. We see that here clearly that to an extent, whether he hates this about himself or not, Tony does hero worship his father. Oh, absolutely. It, there's no doubt about it. He feels like he needs to fill his dad's shoes. And, and we see that in other parts of the movie as well, moving forward. But then the conversation takes a turn because Tony really has one goal here. Yeah, which is to get her in bed. And he does. And that he does. I hate it so much. Get out of this movie. Okay, let it out. Oh my God. I have become Janice. Do you see this, John Favreau? (laughs) You've turned me into Janice. Okay? Because, you know, it bugged me. It's always bugged me. But Mm -hmm. now, more so after WandaVision. After Wanda's incredible journey. The strength she showed as a person, as a woman, as a mother, and Monica too. The bravery that Darcy showed, 
And after all that's happened in this past year, I have zero tolerance anymore for this kind of misogynistic bullshit. Tell me why, John Favreau, this was necessary. There are plenty of ways to show us that Tony is a pig. Why couldn't Christine actually stick to her principles and, and just walk away? I see why they did it, but that doesn't mean I agree with it. I yeah. see the reason why they made Christine go fall into bed with him was to show that he is so charming that even though she doesn't agree with him, she can't help but fall for his charming nonsense. And I think and there are pl plenty of ways to show that he is a charming pig that don't have to be at her expense. Charming pig. Sure. Yeah, that's that's not an oxymoron. They do exist. They do exist. <laughs> yes, there could have been other ways. But at that time, we didn't hold superhero movies to the standard that we do today. That's a point. This is a movie that it was a big gamble for Marvel. And bringing in Robert Downey Jr. was a big gamble in itself. So they kind of went formulaic. And we can see that in the movie. It makes me wonder if Favreau had to compromise in some way, because we do see him then address important things with Pepper later on that he actually does a good job with. So mm -hmm. I'm torn about it. Well, see, here's the thing. Men or anyone in a position of power, they may think that they are not misogynistic or not racist or not whatever is. Mm -hmm. uh, but they do still have certain blind spots. It's just because society as a whole has ingrained so many of these problematic things in us, we don't really think about it so much. It just kind of goes under the radar. That's true. It's unfortunate, but it's true. Yeah. So, so he may be thinking that what he, his portrayal of Pepper was positive, which is true. I do have one particular issue there, but Yes. That's besides yep. the point. Yep. We'll get there in just a minute. Yep. Yep. Pepper is definitely a very strong, capable woman who doesn't need Tony or is not going gaga over him. But this portrayal of Christine is, again, slightly problematic. But we have to say this, that no matter what, yes, she fell for his charms and all of that. Christine did not become a lovesick puppy. Even after they spent the night, she had no problem c confronting him with issues later on. And she was not willing to take his bullshit. That's true. So in a way, you could, if you look at it from a different perspective, it is kind of empowering for Christine. Uh, I can't see it that way. I can't get that far. For him, it was a casual night of sex. For her, it was equally casual. She suddenly didn't start mooning after him. But she also loses all credibility in the process as a journalist. Okay. I can't take her seriously after that as a journalist. Okay, flip this around. If this were a guy who slept with a woman, would you take him seriously? No. Okay, then it's fair. Because, again, as women, we have been ingrained to look at other women and hold them up to higher and harsher standards. No, I agree with you. But it's a matter of she comes in here guns blazing with all these big opinions getting in his face and just throws it all the way for a roll in the hay. Like, mm -mm, nope. 
but she doesn't throw it away. She still sticks to her guns. We see that later on. She condemns this man for what he's doing, basically tells him, you're a terrible person for doing this, but I'll still have sex with you. I don't have any principles. Not really. Okay, that's fair. So now to the morning after. How weird was it hearing Jarvis this time for you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, when I heard Paul Bettany's voice, I was like, oh, buddy, you have no idea what you're in for. (laughs) Neither him nor Jarvis at the time. (laughs) Paul Bettany had no clue that he would be painted every color of the rainbow soon. No, and now, now look at him. He's technically the longest running MCU cast member. Yeah, true. So Christine's trying to get her bearings in the house and here comes Ms. Potts. Yeah, carrying her dry cleaning. Yeah, I don't need this scene either. Yeah. She doesn't have any right to call Christine trash. Exactly. Not one bit. Nope. And it's something that I've spoken about before. Why do we have to have two women pitted against each other? Yeah, exactly. And you know what, Pepper? Take a good look in the mirror, honey, because she slept with him once. You've been working for him and enabling him for years. (laughs) And by the way, you're not so secretly in love with him yourself. So get this shit out of here, Pepper. Yeah, so that nonsense of like, yes, she's in love with him and... She's being bitchy towards another woman. Like, okay, if you are in love with him and you don't want him to go sleep around, take your shot. Yeah, either take your shot or quit. Yeah, don't blame other women about it. And you know what else, too? You definitely get the sense. And this is not only good direction. Gwyneth Paltrow is great in these movies. As much as I do not care for her as a person, she's great. (laughs) Yeah. She's clearly done this a lot. Yes. This is not the first time she's thrown out one of Tony's one night stands. You know what, Tony? Fucking grow a pair. Do it yourself. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty apparent that she's done this before. Okay, this just popped into my head. Tony and Christine had spent the night together. They threw their clothes off. Clothes are presumably in the bedroom. Christine woke up. There were no clothes. And Pepper has come in with freshly dry cleaned clothes so you see where i'm going maybe dummy does the laundry dummy goes around the house picking up dirty clothes (laughs) among his many talents who knows (laughs) and you know what else with pepper we see her stand up to tony all the time she takes no shit from him yep so if she didn't want to do this If she didn't want to, as she says, take out the trash, she Mm -hmm. would tell him, I don't want to do this. There is a part of her that enjoys this because she likes looking down upon these women from her little high horse here and thinking she's better than them because she's the one Tony keeps around. Possible. Yeah. That's a genuine smile on her face when she's kicking Christine out. She's enjoying this. Yeah, absolutely. And also... She's his personal secretary. She's not supposed to be doing this kind of shit for him. No, but how often do women do that? Women who are PAs? Yeah, they do all sorts of 
uncomfortable things that the men don't have the balls to do. Mm -hmm. But I think this is a step too far. Like I said, she could tell him no, she doesn't want to. Yeah, because she knows at the end of the day, he comes back to her. So once Christine is out of the picture, now we see the real Tony working in his lab. Yeah. This is where he is truly himself. Yes. And from the beginning, we see here, Gwyneth Paltrow and Robert Downey Jr. have fantastic chemistry. That they do. I would say it's more, I mean, it is, it is romantic chemistry and they have great banter, but it's more emotional than it is sexual, say, compared to um, a certain Captain America and Peggy Carter. <laughs> Yeah, I think their relationship is more mature in certain ways. Yeah, absolutely. Tony's not a virgin. <laughs> well, I mean, technically... I was, I was going for a different type of mature, but okay. <laughs> Tony, Tony has spoken to a woman. Well, yes, true. Okay. Yeah, poor Steve. Anyway... <laughs> So we get some great back and forth with them here. It's so natural. And I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. Do you think Tony really forgot Pepper's birthday? Yeah, I do. I always took this at face value before, but now I don't know. I wonder if he actually does, if he actually always remembers her birthday. I have this feeling that he pretends to forget, lies about it, because he doesn't want her to know how much he actually cares about her. Post-cave Tony, I would say yes, but pre-cave Tony, no. That's fair. Because for him, everyone is disposable. He has always kept that distance from everyone. And it's only after he has his ordeal in the cave is when he realizes he needs to change things. I would say he lets Pepper in more than anyone, though. She's the only one allowed into that lab, which is his inner sanctum. Yes. So that's what we see here is that this is Tony's true love. His true passion is the work. Mm -hmm. This is what he's all about. Correct. Everything else is just icing on the cake. As long as he's able to do what he loves to do, he doesn't give a shit about anything else. Yeah, to a fault. Business is for other people. That's how he feels. He's an engineer. He's a scientist. Let the others handle business. And in that way, he's a lot like, it's not something we see so much anymore, but you know, in decades past, we would see old widows who, when their husbands pass away, they have no idea how to live because they've never even seen the checkbook. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of like Tony here with Obadiah, where he's willfully ignorant about the business aspects of his company. You know, I think it could go both ways. There's no doubt that Tony is the brains behind the inventions and everything that Stark Industries has built. But he's purposefully let go of his business side to Obadiah so that he can concentrate on creating and inventing these new weapons and it's also i feel that obadiah has purposefully kept him away from that enabled his 
disinterest in business so that he could continue to do what he wanted to do with the double dealing and all that shit. Absolutely. Obadiah is the epitome of the manipulative psychopath. Yes, absolutely. And I think another part of it is that because Howard trusted Obadiah, so Tony by default trusts him and lets him continue and doesn't let that whole thing rock the boat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Now, Pepper reminds Tony that, as usual, he's late to get on a plane. Mm-hmm. He is supposed to be meeting Rhodey at his private jet to head on over to Afghanistan, where our story began. Right. And he eventually decides to drive there, and I just love his car. (laughs) Now, my fellow friends who are part of the military community, the next time you watch this movie, I want you to play a game. Hopefully everyone will be none the worse for wear when it's over, but I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. Everybody take a shot anytime. James Rhodes commits an offense for which he can be court-martialed in this movie because there are several. And getting blatantly drunk while on duty en route to an official visit is one of them. (laughs) For fuck's sake. But to be fair, he does protest initially. Oh, what a protest. Yeah, you really (laughs) had to twist his arm to have a few drinks and then sit around with dancing half-naked flight attendants I can't. You get one, Favreau. You either get this scene or you get the sex scene. You don't get both. Well, he got both. I was more troubled by that very, very fakely CGI pole. Oh, really? Than the dancing ladies, yes. You expect me to believe you were troubled by the scene of the dancing ladies who just very much happened to fit a certain type for you? You uh, you were troubled by this? And I swear to you, every time I watch that scene, the CGI on that pole is so bad that it distracts me from anything else. That that concerns me. At this point in your life, in your current circumstances, this concerns me. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, as much as I like women, I do not appreciate women being blatantly objectified in this way. I like women, but I do respect them. And the CGI is just bad. Okay. All right. You're a better person than I am, so I can believe that. (laughs) So they touch down at uh, Bagram Air Force Base in Afghanistan, sober by this point. Yeah, I mean, it's a long flight. Yeah. So Tony's purpose here in Afghanistan is to give a demonstration of his new Jericho missile. Yes. And to his credit, he... I can't blame him in a way for thinking he's one of the good guys. You know, he's been fed the same ideology that all Americans have been fed his entire life, probably even more so because of who his father is, the might makes right philosophy. And just thinking generally, we're the good guys fighting the terrorists. Yeah, absolutely. And it's his belief that keeps him saying that makes him feel like it's he's justified in creating these weapons we know that tony is not a psychopath he doesn't enjoy killing people no so there has to be some kind of mental gymnastics going on with him in order to justify what he's doing 
yes, he very much sees the world in black and white right now. And Favreau frames this in such a way. And, you know, with Tony's like ego driven over the top demonstration, he does a good job of showing that, you know, the global arms race is really just a dick measuring contest when it comes down to it. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And also he's playing to his audience. That's true. Yep. They fired the Jericho missile and it's fantastic CG, I must say. The way they've done it, the way they frame it, wonderfully done. Mm-hmm. And now we're back to where our story started. Yes. In that Humvee. Yeah. So Tony is full of shrapnel, unconscious, taken by the terrorists, and now we find him in the cave. Yeah. I can't handle this shit. I I can't. I can't. I can't deal with wires inside of people and that amazing sound design of pulling out the wires and it's in his nose. And I just, I can't. It's not a wire. It's a tube. It's a wire. Of, it's a tubey wire. I want nothing <laughs> to do with it. You know what that was there for, right? Stop. 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 No, I'm genuinely asking you. I don't know. No. It was a feeding nasal tube. I thought that's what it was, but that's even worse. I can't. I can't. I Noses keep things out of my nose, out of my brain, out of my throat. No. Nope. <laughs> Basically keep things out of you. Tony's obviously freaked out here. Who wouldn't be? Mm-hmm. And again, we have the trope of... As soon as the hero wakes up, he pulls off all the wires and he's perfectly fine. Yeah. And you know what? I got to say, people, even as somebody as phobic as I am about wires and whatnot, if you wake up from, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) If you wake up from a bout of unconsciousness with a bunch of shit hooked up to you, just leave it there. Just leave it there until somebody, until somebody who knows what they're doing and knows what all that's for comes along. Just take stock for a couple of minutes and just yeah and all said and done taking that shit out is painful yeah yeah i imagine so that stuff goes deep in it's not okay. just like a pull right. it out all right all right all right <laughs> i hate you <laughs> this is the magic of the show that's it this is it <laughs> And now we get our first glimpse of Jensen. This is one of my favorite character introductions, I think, in anything. Okay, why? I know he is just a blip as far as the MCU goes in terms of Mm -hmm. characters. And I know there have been incredible reveals of all, you know, different characters throughout movie history. But there is something so subtle about this, the artistry of it. Our first glimpse of Jensen is him in this filthy, freezing, disgusting cave. And what is he doing? He's shaving. For who? Who cares if he's clean shaven or not? You know, he's in a friggin' cave. He should be focused on survival and getting out of their life, all kinds of other things. But he's shaving because that's one of the ways 
he's holding on to his humanity. Yes, he's holding on to his dignity. He is always presentable, no matter the circumstance. And he reminds me so much of uh, Sean Connery as Dr. Henry Jones Sr. in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. There's just something mm-hmm. about it. The, char- the two characters, that quiet dignity, that intelligence. And it tells you, too, his dignity is all he has left. Yeah. It's the last bit of him that he will not relinquish. That's a really good way of putting it. He, they can't take that away from him. Yeah. Whenever I see Jensen, he reminds me of this quote by Viktor Frankl. Everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. Yeah, and Viktor Frankl knows of what he speaks there as a psychiatrist and a Holocaust survivor. If you've never read his book, Man's Search for Meaning, folks, I highly recommend it. Yeah, absolutely. So another great round of quick exposition here. We find out that Yinsen saved Tony with this jury-rigged battery, preventing the shrapnel from getting to Tony's heart. And that's another thing. I just can't deal with the idea of anything trying to crawl into my heart. No, thank you. It's not crawling. I don't care. It's in there. And I know it's there. And mm, it's moving. It's moving. It's moving through the blood. Yeah, it's bad enough I know my blood is moving inside of me, okay? I don't need anything else moving in there. Well, to be fair, a lot of people who have who have been in situations like this have shrapnel and they live their entire lives with that shrapnel embedded in them. Yes. In this situation, the shrapnel, I presume, is moving through the blood, going towards the heart because of obviously all the blood moves through the heart. Yeah, I'm just a big baby, everyone. Don't mind me. (laughs) Yet you're perfectly comfortable being poked with needles. Acupuncture. Hey, it works. That's all I can say. Yeah, works or no works. You bring a needle in front of me, I'll I'll punch you. (laughs) So, Jensen is going to be Tony's guide through this entire time in the cave. Yeah, he's almost like a guardian angel for him, isn't he? He really is. To the point that the first time I watched this movie, I wondered if Jensen was real. Seriously? A little bit. It just seemed too convenient. You know, the first time I saw this movie, I was wondering whether Jensen is a good guy or not. Okay. They start off the scene in a bit of a ambiguous way. Because Jensen, he's shaving, he's he's speaking to Tony, and he is playing it slightly ambiguous. We don't know whether we should trust him or not. You're right. I can see it that way. And the reason why also was that because we are so used to seeing people like him end up being the bad guys. That's true. Mm -hmm. For me, the first time I had seen this, thinking he was a figment of Tony's imagination, maybe some like a break, a mental break he was having inside the cave. After eight weeks of covering WandaVision together, are you really that surprised that that's what my brain came up with? Yeah, well, you kind of had a mini breakdown with the mailman, so yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, so not too much of a surprise here. I thought there might have been <laughs> some some secret windowing going on uh, mm-hmm. in Iron Man, but no, Jensen is very right. real. Yeah, he is, and he has a very lasting impact on Tony. Yeah, and this is Tony's first real moment of reckoning here when this terrorist comes in and he realizes the mess he's in. Yeah, till then he he knew he was in deep shit. He just didn't realize how bad. This is the point where Tony understands, like, oh, crap. Like, yeah, this guy's a terrorist, but he's not wrong. My weapons that I've been so proud of have wound up in terrorist hands, have been used to kill Americans and other innocent people around the world. Yeah, this is the first time he realizes that it's not just, quote unquote, the good guys who were using his weapons. And he's equally confused about how the fuck do they have all his stuff? And it's quite the arsenal. Yes, very true. This isn't something that these guys may have infiltrated a military base and just taken some of it. This is a full consignment. And I think this goes to your point about Tony being so wrapped up in his work. We've all known people like this. Scientists who just are obsessed with their work and nothing else. It's all they can think or talk about at the expense of every aspect of their life. And it's easy to be naive when you're living a life like that. Yeah. And it's like, Tony, of all people, how could you, a weapons manufacturer, a huge part of the military industrial complex, not realize this was a possibility, buddy? I think because... One, what we've already discussed, he's so focused on his work and Obadiah trying to keep him away from the business aspects of it so that he doesn't get involved because he knows that at the end of the day, Tony is an idealist. I think that Colonel Rhodes has a lot to do with that too, with reinforcing to Tony that he's doing the right thing, that he's one of the good guys. We're going after the bad guys. I mean, Rhodes is a military officer. That's his job. Yeah. And also it's the general propaganda that we see in American movies. Americans are the best. Americans are right. Americans can do no wrong. And also for Tony, since he looks up to his father so much at that time when Howard was involved and he was creating weapons, it was really that clear cut. It was black and white. It's the things that have happened after that that have changed but Tony has not realized that. And also, you've got to admit that Howard was a very popular guy. We've seen oh, yeah. that. And Tony, being Howard's son, has probably received a lot of attention. And with everyone around him trying to shelter him and keep him away from the complexities of life, has given Tony the sort of tunnel vision. That and the fact that he'd also be surrounded by sycophants. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. For Tony, you could almost say it's like he's that sheltered prince who has an experienced knife, so he doesn't know how to rule his people. Oh my God. He's what? Nicholas Romanov. Okay. Yep. He's Zor Nicholas. You hit the nail right on the head there. Yep. All right. And. Tony realizes he's in an even bigger mess when it's revealed, oh, yeah, we want you to build us a Jericho missile and you're going to stay in this cave until you do it. 
Yeah. That's when shit really hits the fan for Tony. Yeah. And that's that's when he realizes that, okay, I'm not going to talk my way out of this. Mm -hmm. And there's a very good chance that I'm going to die in this cave. But he was already expecting to die because of the whole battery situation and the shrapnel. And he's willing to give up. Do you think this is the first time in his life that Tony hasn't been able to talk his way out of something? Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if this was the first time that he wasn't able to talk or pay his way out of something. Yes. Unless it was something between him and his father. I think his father saw right through him every time. And that's why we see later on in the other movies, they didn't have the best relationship. Right. And here we see Yinsen doing what needs to be done. He's getting in Tony's face and telling him what he needs to hear. And this is not something Tony ever gets outside of Pepper. Yeah. And in this situation, for the first time, Tony is an equal with someone else. Mm-hmm. And Yinsen is not telling him something that he needs to hear in a way to manipulate him. He's just, he's just showing him a mirror and telling him, this is what it is. You can either wallow or you can do something about it. Exactly. And I think you're right about being equals. Yinsen is a brilliant man in his own right. And I think that's a big help. Yeah, because Tony, all said and done, yes, he does have his own attitude and stuff like that. But he respects another person who's at the same level as he is or is not at least full of bullshit. Yes, he certainly does. And I don't think we mentioned it before, but in that little awards bio, we do find out that Tony went to MIT and graduated at what, 17? Right. Yeah. So he's pretty much one of the smartest people on the planet. And Yinsen knows this. He knows Tony is capable of getting them out of this situation, or at least getting himself out of this situation. Yeah. We, we already see the hints that he knows he's not getting out of this. Yeah. Because he knows he's not valuable or important enough. So that kind of lights a fire under yeah. Tony's ass. And he does get to work, albeit for his own plans. Yeah, well, you know what? I don't blame him for this. If, if I was, you know, living attached to a car battery, I would ma- also make that my number one priority, getting something a little more portable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, nobody wants to carry a landline when you have mobiles, right? <laughs> Only you <laughs> would make that analogy. <laughs> Only I'm you. sorry, that's the, that's the only thing that pops into my head. <laughs> so we saw Tony in his lab earlier in his own home, but this is the first time we really see him getting down to work and see what he's capable of putting together. Yeah, because earlier when we saw him in the lab, he was working on a car. It was his hobby. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This time he's actually inventing something. Yeah. And we should say the idea of putting together this suit, the core inside this game. Yes, we know it's ridiculous. We don't care because it's fucking amazing. It is 100%. And it's also as we go through everything, especially after just watching WandaVision, it's not the craziest suspension of disbelief that Marvel is going to ask of us. So just go with it. Hey, it's Marvel. 
if you exactly. can't suspend disbelief, you're in the wrong universe. Very true. So Tony is building his uh, first core to, as you said, make him more mobile. <laughs> and I also love this because it's going to set up that amazing Jeff Bridges line later in the movie. Yeah. There are a few one-liners in this movie that just stand the test of time. Yes. Yes, indeed. Tell me, because I know you know, what mm -hmm. is the game that Tony and Yinsen are playing together? Backgammon. Okay. See, I knew you'd know. I I'm not quite sure how to take that, but okay. <laughs> I do like that game. It's a nice game, by the way. I do appreciate the fact that these terrorists are considerate enough to give these guys downtime and the backgammon board for them to play. Right? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it. Where the fuck did they get it? I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Yeah, at least they're not slave drivers. They're terrorists, but they don't cross that line. <laughs> they don't want them to be bored. Everybody, everyone needs some stress relief. Your productivity soars when you're well rested. They at least they get that. <laughs> Clearly, some of our corporates don't get that yet. They should probably learn a lesson or two from those terrorists. So it's amazing in this scene how terrified Tony still is of intimacy, of his own emotions, of opening up, because mm -hmm. he can't. He's he's got he's trapped in the middle of the desert by men with guns in a cave and he's got this one ally and he's still afraid to open up to him he's just now asking Yinsen his name yeah yeah tony is a smart man he has a very high iq but he has a very low emotional iq definitely yeah he's he's stagnated somewhere around like seven or eight years old in that regard possibly yeah <laughs> in in a number of ways and it really is heartbreaking as we go through the movies and we know how much Howard loved him and he saw the real Tony. He was one of the few who saw the truth in his son. He didn't know how to show that love or cultivate all the positive qualities that are inside Tony. Because I know it's a cliche to say, but he really does have a heart of gold. It's just buried under layers and layers of fear. Yeah, I agree. And I think that also is has got a lot to do with the time that Howard was in. At that time, having those emotional connections with your child was just unheard of in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And Tony is one of those guys who he's a very sensitive person, but because he's been shown or taught not to be that, he's just hidden himself under wit and sarcasm yes and that's the tough part for me is because i do love the wit and the sarcasm but it's harder now because knowing that every single witty sarcastic line is just hiding pain you know yeah and that's probably the biggest appeal for him if he was just a witty and sarcastic guy with no depth to him he'd be a douchebag nobody would like him yeah but we can see the layers, and that's a testament to Robert Downey Jr.'s talent as an actor. Yeah. Yeah. Like we've said many times before, it's hard to tell where one begins and the other ends. True. Yeah. 
So while Tony and Yinsen are bonding, they get a visit from the, this lead terrorist. I like this guy. I always have. He's a good villain. He's a good villain. His name is Farhan Tahir. I've seen him in other shows and he does a wonderful job. I really wish that they had given him more to work with in this, in this movie. He reminds me of Mark Strong. Yeah, I mean, they're both bald. They've got that intensity. Yes, they do. In their yeah. faces. Mm-hmm. It makes it nearly impossible for them to ever play a good guy. <laughs> he played a good guy in Kingsman. And after this little tete-a-tete here, Tony really gets to work. And this is when we get our first hammer. Yeah. That iconic hammer banging sound. That I can't hear without tearing up just a little bit. (sighs) Yeah. Everything's different after Endgame. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's kind of the point of Endgame, right? Uh, Yeah. 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 And this whole montage here, as we're leading up to Tony's escape, this music is great. Yeah, the music was composed by Raman Jawadi. John Farrow mentioned in uh, the, the director's commentary that the reason why they went with something like this was because for them, they conceptualized Tony as kind of like a rock star. And it, it comes through. He is kind of like a rock star. He has that rock star life. He's hounded by press and he's rich and famous and he has all these women falling all, all over him, kind of like groupies. Yeah, and the charisma. Yes, absolutely. He is a rock star and the music is fantastic. It reflects that really well. It reminds me of when Robert Downey Jr. joined Twitter and his bio just said, you know who I am. <laughs> world's greatest fucking twitter bio just yep yeah we do yeah yeah that's that's him that's tony that's rdj one and the same so tony and yinsen here are working frantically but steadily to get this suit done in time put all their plans in place so that tony thinks so that they can escape the cave but yinsen knows tony's the only one getting out of this yeah, and I think that's also because Jensen doesn't want to get out of it. No, he's ready to die. Yeah, because he knows he's lost his family and this is his one last thing that he can do, his one last mark on this world, if you will. Yes, you know, it actually reminds me a little bit of Maximus at the end of Gladiator. He knows he's going to die, but he's got mm-hmm. one last hurrah in him, one last attempt to make things right, and he'll damn well do it. And then he's ready to go see his family. Yeah, it could also be that by helping Tony escape, he's not letting the terrorists win. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. He is a man of principle, truly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think part of him also wants to make his family proud. True. Yeah. It could also be like Survivor's Guild. He probably thinks that this is the reason why he's still alive. Sure. Yep. Everything happens for a reason mentality. Yep. Yeah. And Yinsen knows he's got to give Tony a little bit more time. And in doing that, sacrifices himself. Yeah. And this is a major turning point for Tony. Yes. This is where we see that he's got that huge heart. He's got such a capacity for love and caring inside of him, but no idea. Just like Howard, no idea how to show Mm -hmm. it. 
And in true superhero fashion way, he takes that grief that he has and channels it in anger. And Yinsen tells him in his dying words, don't waste your life. Yes. Man, how did that hit you after a year of COVID? I'd say after a year of this, it's made me realize that we can't take anything for granted. Yeah, it really puts things in perspective. Again, another cliche, but true. True. Well, they're cliches for a reason, right? Yeah. And, you know, this goes to show again. We've said it so many times, but we're going to keep saying it. Marvel movies have much bigger themes than a lot of critics like to admit. True. Yeah. And it's up to you to see it and interpret it. And if that's not something that works for you, fair enough. That doesn't mean that you shit on it. Right. So a huge battle ensues here as Tony escapes. And you get all the nuance of this a lot better than I do. For me, in my notes, I have boom, boom, crash, crash. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I really like the fact that we don't see the suit as a whole till much later. We see the suit. We see Tony getting out from the terrorist's perspective. Mm-hmm. And it's almost kind of like a horror movie. Yeah, I'd be shitting my pants if I were them. Yeah, and you hear this big thundering metallic object coming towards you. You bloody well cut and run the other, the other way. Yeah, because in this moment, I'm wondering if like these dudes have seen RoboCop. You know? <laughs> and if they have, how does that inform their current reactions and also robocop by comparison is much smaller than the first iron man suit that's true so even if they have and they know that capability it would be smart for them to run indeed you were saying some things here stand the test of time yeah one of them is tony flying out of this explosion yeah he's basically shot everything up everything is exploding And he flies out like a phoenix. I love that. I don't care how old I am. I don't care how many times I will have seen this movie by the time I get, you know, into my my golden years. That will never (laughs) not be cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those goosebump moments that always happen. And with Tony's emergence as a new man, that's the perfect place to end part one of Iron Man. That's right, people. We're making this one a two-parter because we're not the podcast babies we once were. Oh, yes. We're so mature now. (laughs) Don't worry, everyone. You won't have to wait a week for part two because we released both parts simultaneously. Thanks to all you madams for joining us for the first half of Iron Man. I'm Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Mamie. Enjoy part two of Mr. Stark's origin story and then come back Wednesday for our breakdown of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Episode 3. In the meantime, if you have something to add, find us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram at Marvel Madams. And visit us at themarvelousmadams.com, where infinity stones are a girl's best friend. Like literal shit? Yes, literal shit. You know this is a problem with her. I missed one. I went all around the fucking yard twice. 
I thought I got it all. Ooh, I missed one, and she got TMI. it. TMI. I need no. I just say no. <laughs> I'm so tired of being outsmarted by what amounts to a furry toddler. You know that explains a lot. 